Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, customers are getting frustrated with Okta over that potential lapsus hack. Apple's acquisition of an open banking startup is interesting. Yuga Labs is the, forgive me, 800-pound gorilla of the NFT space. And why Mark Zuckerberg's personal remote work regimen might explain why he's so obsessed with having meetings in VR. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Let's follow up on yesterday's big InfoSec headlines. Okta has confirmed an attacker accessed an engineer's laptop in January, consistent with posted screenshots by Lapsus, as customers of Okta struggled to grasp their exposure to this potential hack. And that's the point. Okta is the service that you use to help you keep your stuff secure, your people secure. So lots of folks are wondering to what degree this has exposed them. Okta says the, quote, maximum potential impact of its security breach was 366 customers whose data was accessed by outside contractor Sitel. Okta has more than 15,000 clients in total, quoting Wired. In an expanded statement on Tuesday afternoon, Okta's chief security officer, David Bradbury, said categorically, quote, the Okta service has not been breached, end quote. The details that have emerged, though, including from Bradbury's statement itself, paint a confusing picture, and the conflicting information has made it difficult for Okta customers and others who depend on them to assess their risk and the extent of the damage. There are two big unknowns when it comes to the Okta incident, the specific nature of the incident and how it might impact Okta customers, says Keith McCammon, chief security officer at the network security and incident response firm Red Canary. This is exactly the type of situation that leads customers to expect more proactive notification of security incidents that impact their products or customers, end quote. On Tuesday evening, about eight hours after posting an initial statement, Okta updated the notice with some expanded information. Specifically, the company admitted that roughly 2.5% of its customers, quote, have potentially been impacted, adding that their data, quote, may have been viewed or acted upon, end quote. The company says it has contacted all those organizations, likely more than 350 of them, given that Okta reported having more than 14,000 customers as of February. Bradbury's original statement said that the company only received analysis of the January incident this week from the private forensics firm it hired to assess the situation. The timing coincides with Lapsus's decision to release screenshots via Telegram that claimed to detail its Okta administrative account access from late January. The company's expanded statement opens by saying that it, quote, detected an unsuccessful attempt to compromise the account of a customer support engineer working for a third-party provider, end quote. But apparently some attempt was successful because Bradbury goes on to say that the incident report recently revealed, quote, a five-day window of time between January 16 and 21 where an attacker had access to a support engineer's laptop, end quote. The statement adds that during those five days, attackers would have had the full access that support engineers are granted, which does not include the ability to create or delete users, download customer databases, or access existing user passwords, but does include access to JIRA tickets, lists of users, and crucially, the ability to reset passwords for multi-factor authentication tokens. The latter is the main mechanism Lapsus's hackers would have likely abused to take over Okta tokens at target organizations and infiltrate. Okta says that it is contacting customers who may have been impacted. On Tuesday, though, companies including the internet infrastructure firm Cloudflare raised the question of why they were hearing about the incident from tweets and criminal screenshots rather than from Okta itself. 
The identity management company seems to maintain, though, that compromising a third-party affiliate in some way is not a direct breach. In Okta's statement, they said they were not breached and that the attacker's attempts were unsuccessful, yet they openly admit that attackers had access to customer data, says independent security researcher Bill Demircapi. If Okta knew since January that an attacker may have been able to access confidential customer data, why did they never inform any of their customers? End quote. Meanwhile, Microsoft has confirmed that Lapsus compromised, quote, a single account and stole portions of source code for some products, but says that no Microsoft customer code or data was involved, end quote. It's always interesting when Apple makes an acquisition, since they do so so quietly and so comparatively rarely, But this might be more interesting than most. Apple has acquired UK banking startup Credit Kudos, which offers APIs for lenders. Sources say the deal is valued at around $150 million. Now, what's interesting here is that this is an open banking company, which, well, let's explain that, quoting the block. The startup offers insights and scores on loan applicants drawn from bank data, specifically transaction and loan outcome data, sourced via the UK's open banking framework. Its API can offer lenders faster decision-making, less risk, and increased acceptance rates, according to its website. Launched in 2015 by founders Freddie Kelly and Matt Schofield, Credit Kudos became the latest in a string of big European open banking acquisitions in the past year, albeit the first to be snapped up by a tech giant. Up till now, card network operators MasterCard and Visa have been driving consolidation in the sector. In June 2021, Visa paid 1.8 billion euro, roughly $2.15 billion at the time, for Swedish open banking firm Tink, an acquisition that was finalized earlier this month. In September, MasterCard announced the acquisition of Aya, a Danish open banking startup. It is not yet clear what Apple has planned for Credit Kudos. The Silicon Valley-based company currently offers financial products primarily through its mobile wallet, Apple Pay, and in the form of a credit card that it began rolling out in August 2019, end quote. And quoting from CNBC, The company operates in a nascent space in the world of fintech known as open banking, where third-party firms securely link to people's bank accounts to extract information and make payments on their behalf, provided they've given consent to do so. The trend has gained momentum in Europe in recent years thanks to fintech-friendly rules introduced in 2018 that aim to increase competition in the payments industry. It has ignited huge interest from investors with Silicon Valley startup Plaid being valued at $13.4 billion in a funding round last year. Plaid had previously agreed to be bought by Visa, but scrapped those plans following an antitrust lawsuit from the U.S. government. Visa subsequently acquired Tink, a Swedish company that competes with Plaid for $2.1 billion. Based in London, Credit Kudos develops software that uses customers' banking data to make more informed credit checks on loan applications. It is a challenger to the big credit reporting agencies, which include Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, end quote. So, let's speculate. This could just be an entree for Apple to offer an Apple Card in the UK, or maybe this is their way to take the Apple Card International. But also, quoting Simon Taylor on Twitter... Thoughts on Apple acquiring UK open banking company? Apple buy now, pay later? Credit Kudos could make underwriting and pay instant? Will Apple try to acquire a US open banking company? Everyone is trying to build the Apple Watch for money, but what if Apple built the Apple Watch for money? End quote.
Quick check back in on El Salvador as the country has postponed its $1 billion Bitcoin-backed bond planned for March 15th through 20th, citing unfavorable market conditions. Quoting Reuters, The launch of the bond could be postponed until September as Bitcoin has swooned since hitting a record high above $67,500 in early November. It lost almost half of its value by January 22 and traded at $42,609 on Tuesday, according to Refinitiv Icon Data. Now is not the time to issue the bond, according to Finance Minister Alejandro Zalia, who said that the ideal date to go on the market is the first half of the year during an interview with a local television channel. In May or June, the market variants are a little different, at the latest in September. After September, if you go out to the international market, it is difficult to raise capital, he added, end quote. In 2023, just 10 vulnerabilities accounted for over half of the incidents responded to by our sponsors today, Arctic Wolf Incident Response. Wouldn't you love to know how to take these vulnerabilities off the table and make life more difficult for cybercriminals? That's just one of the essential insights you'll find inside the Arctic Wolf Labs 2024 Threats Report. Authored by their elite team of security researchers, data scientists, and security development engineers, and backed by the data gained from trillions of weekly observations within thousands of unique environments, this report offers expert analysis into attack types, root causes, top vulnerabilities, TTPs, and more. Discover the attack vectors behind nearly half of all successful cybercrimes, why ransom demands climbed 20% from 2023, and find out why 2024 will be an especially volatile year for cybersecurity. Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com forward slash tech meme. That's arcticwolf.com forward slash tech meme. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mack Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their air knit underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak Polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer. Their Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. Yuga Labs, the owner of three of the top NFT brands, including Bored Ape Yacht Club, has raised $450 million at a $4 billion valuation, led by A16Z to build an NFT media empire. Quoting The Verge, The team describes its metaverse project called Other Side as an MMORPG meant to connect the broader NFT universe. They hope to create, quote, an interoperable world that is gamified and completely decentralized, says Wiley 
Aranau, a co-founder of Board Ape Yacht Club, who goes by the pseudonym Gordon Goner. We think the real Ready Player One experience will be player-run, end quote. The announcement comes just weeks after Yuga Labs made a major move to consolidate the NFT space, acquiring CryptoPunks and MeBits from Larva Labs. The acquisition put three of the most lucrative NFT collections under one roof and gave Yuga Labs a bigger roster of IP to pull from when crafting its game and metaverse plans. The company also launched a cryptocurrency ApeCoin last week. The token will be governed independently and used as the primary currency in Yuga Labs' properties. Yuga Labs is partnering with, quote, a few different game studios to bring other side to life, says CEO Nicole Munez. The game won't be limited to Bored Ape holders, and the company plans to create development tools that allow NFTs from other projects to work inside their world. We're opening the door to effectively a walled garden and saying, everybody welcome, end quote. To me, Yuga Labs combined with these other emerging Web3 companies are an important counterweight to companies like Meta. Chris Dixon, who leads Andreessen Horowitz's crypto arm, tells The Verge, there's a dystopian future where Meta is this kind of dominant digital experience provider, and all of the money and control goes to that company, end quote. Interestingly, Andreessen Horowitz's co-founder, Mark Andreessen, is on Meta's board of directors and invested early in Facebook. Yuga Labs has been financially successful to date. A leaked pitch deck indicates the company made $137 million last year primarily by taking a cut of the transactions tied to its NFT brands, with an astounding 95% profit margin. Yuga Labs declined to comment on figures from the deck. But the company has built fairly little at this point. Its NFT collections have 40,000 users at most, according to OpenSea's data, and the company has only released one game for a limited period of time. That means Yuga Labs is essentially being given hundreds of millions of dollars to build a gaming company, or at least the web 3 2020 version of one, from scratch, off the back of a hugely lucrative art project." End quote. Speaking of Andreessen and crypto, Katie Hahn, who left A16Z in 2021, has raised a $1.5 billion fund, the largest debut fund by a female VC ever, allotting $500 million for early stage and $1 billion for late stage startups, quoting CNBC. Han Ventures' kickoff marks the largest debut venture fund ever raised by a solo female founding partner, according to PitchBook. Former investment banker Mary Meeker held the prior record with a $1.3 billion fund after spinning out from Kleiner Perkins. Han Ventures will invest in both startup equity and in some cases the cryptocurrencies issued by those startups, also known as tokens. Han, a former federal prosecutor, became Andreessen's first female general partner in 2018, where she co-led its multiple cryptocurrency funds alongside Chris Dixon. Andreessen Horowitz will be a limited partner in Han's newest venture, while Mark Andreessen, the firm's founder, and Dixon all personally contributed to her new endeavor. Her exit caught many in Silicon Valley off guard. While it was a dream job, Han said the departure was about taking more risk and, quote, stepping out of her comfort zone, end quote. I would also note that Han is also on the board of Coinbase. So maybe this makes Mark Zuckerberg's obsession with having meetings in VR make more sense. According to the Wall Street Journal, Meta's top executives are embracing remote work with gusto. As sources say, Zuckerberg spends extended periods in Hawaii, and Sheryl Sandberg is taking a sabbatical this spring. And, well, quoting the journal... The company's management team, including chief executive Mark Zuckerberg, is scattering to locations far from its Silicon Valley headquarters in an extreme test of the limits of remote work. Naomi Gleet, the company's head of product and one of its longest tenured employees, has relocated to New York, 
Chief Marketing Officer Alex Schultz plans to move to the UK, and Guy Rosen, the company's Vice President of Integrity, will be moving to Israel in the near future, according to a company spokesman. Meanwhile, Javier Olivan, Meta's Chief Growth Officer, has split his time between California and Europe, but is planning to spend more time abroad, the spokesman said. Meta last week said that it will be doubling its Madrid office in Mr. Olivan's home country of Spain to add 2,000 people over the next five years. Adam Mosseri, the head of Instagram in recent months, has been traveling and working remotely from locations including Hawaii, Los Angeles, and Cape Cod, according to people familiar with the matter and the executive's social media posts. The spokesman said that Mr. Mosseri has no plans to relocate permanently. Mr. Zuckerberg has also been spending more time away from the company's headquarters in Menlo Park, California, according to people familiar with the matter. Mr. Zuckerberg regularly spends extended periods at his compound in Hawaii and his other homes outside the Bay Area, the people said. In the short term, Mr. Zuckerberg will also be without the counsel of his longtime number two, Chief Operating Officer Sheryl Sandberg, who is taking a sabbatical this spring as part of the company's program to offer 30 days of paid leave every five years, end quote. Finally today, look, depending on your definition, lots of folks can be like, hey, the metaverse is already here. We don't have to wait for meta to make it. I'm mostly joking in this case, but, you know, Zoom has launched avatars, which lets users show up to Zoom meetings as Memoji-like animals and plans to add new video filter avatar options in the future. So, show up in your next meeting as a dolphin or something that beats Zuckerberg's VR meetings with folks with no legs, quoting The Verge. Zoom sees this feature as useful for a lot of different scenarios. In its press release, it mentions showing up with an avatar filter on could, quote, bring some fun to your team-building meetings or help pediatricians seem less intimidating to younger children. There's also the idea that it could help alleviate Zoom fatigue. At least one study has indicated that constantly looking at yourself to make sure you're presentable and reacting appropriately is part of what makes being in video calls all day so tiring. If your Zoom box is showing a giraffe that's mirroring your facial expressions, that's a lot harder to scrutinize than your actual face. To turn on avatars, Zoom instructs users to click the caret button, the little up arrow button next to the start stop video button, then click choose video filter, then pick the animal you want to show up as from the avatars tab. Apparently you can even decide whether your avatar will be wearing a hoodie or a t-shirt. It'd just be immersion breaking if you showed up as a fox not appropriately dressed for the weather. You can also optionally choose to always apply the filter whenever you enter a meeting if you want, end quote. I'm going to record an Internet History Podcast episode in a couple of hours, something that I haven't done in a long while, with an exciting former Apple person. Don't worry, I'll share it here with you too, eventually. Talk to you tomorrow.